I have a message for all the gangs threatening New Zealanders. My government will not stand for it. The new powers would include a ban on gang patches in public, similar to anti-bikey laws already in force across several states in Australia. It would give police the power to stop gang members gathering in public with an order which would last a week, and they could be stopped from associating with each other for three years. Firearms prohibition orders. The policy would also ban gang insignia like patches in all public places and on social media. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, gangs face a crackdown under the new government. So the thinking is, what's worked in Oz should work here. What is a gang is a very, very different picture to what we have here. So you just can't say the the bikey laws from Australia will work dealing with the mongrel mob. If the ban on gang patches doesn't work, Mark Mitchell, the man who is expected to be our next police minister, says he'll target facial tattoos. Well, the, the Australians passed a law whereby now gang members have to wake up in the morning and they have to apply foundation to cover offensive tattoos that they have put on their faces to, again, try and intimidate members of the public. So if the gangs think that they're going to get around a ban on gang patches by having swastikas, and, uh, and offensive um, tattoos on their faces, then we'll take action to curb that. Shortly we'll hear about how they've done it in Oz, but first, just how easy is it to get rid of a tattoo? Well, I'm meeting a woman who gets close to gang members in prison, really close. I'm Helena Carter and I own de-ink tattoo removal, so I do laser tattoo removal and in particular, I work in prisons, which is lots and lots of fun. <laughs> We're sitting in your own uh, studio here in Kingsland. Can I say that? Yes. You um, <laughs> we've got a treatment bed, and then on one side of the treatment bed, this is a Q switch YAG laser. So, um, with an articulated arm, and what's important about that? is it delivers the power very well. Um, this machine is basically used for black and red ink. Mm. So about 99% of my clients have black ink. That's the tool that you use to mm -hmm. remove? It sure is. And, and what is this? This behind me is actually a skin cooler. So it sucks air in, blows it out really cold, minus 20. So I tend to apply ice on the area because it cools the area down really quickly. And then if, if it's in the right area, I get the client to use the skin cooler, blowing the cold air on the area as I treat. And the advantage of that is it takes their mind off what I'm doing because tattoo removal, really painful. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, way, way worse than getting the tattoo on. What's the sensation? Uh, well, I actually don't even have any tattoos, so I've never had one off. Um, but hot fat being tipped on you. How long is, is each session, if it's that painful? Oh, so the rule of thumb is you don't treat an area larger than a beer coaster in one session. So if someone had a big outline on their back, gang tattoo, then you'd kind of visualise that ink going into a beer coaster. So you could probably do the whole back, 
because if you put all that ink in one place, it probably wouldn't be much more than a beer coaster. Mm. But it's not safe to treat people with big areas because the ink is being released into the body and it can overwhelm the body. So when we hit it with the laser, it explodes the ink into much smaller molecules and then the body comes along and eats up the molecules, starts absorbing it into the lymph system and kidneys and so that's why you don't release too much ink in one session. And the ink actually goes over three months. So when we hit the skin with the laser, the, we're damaging the skin. And it doesn't necessarily look like it on the surface, right? The plan is not to make someone bleed or blister. That's not good tattoo removal. So, But you're exploding the ink. And then what happens, the body heals and then it starts to nibble up the ink. Why did you get into tattoo removal? Oh, um, well, many years ago, and it is many years ago, I owned the beauty salon in Smith & Coe's. So I was looking for something to do that was a bit more interesting. And then um, someone approached me seeing if I wanted to buy a laser. So I'm like, yay. Ten years on, about a third of Helena's work takes her into prisons in Auckland. So what happens when the prisoner's facing the laser? They're quite nervous, so um, I think I'm funny. Okay. <laughs> so normally I have them laughing, and when they first come, I go, oh, you haven't been tortured by me before, have you? No. Less ink, more power. That's how laser works, right? So I always start off low. The guys moan like hell about that. But there's no benefit to hurting, you know, to making them bleed or blister. They're just more likely to scar, which is not what we want. So start low in terms of the, the power the, the that power we're delivering to the, you know, and you can hear the laser when it's working, okay? You, it has a particular pop, which is the ink exploding, and you can actually feel it. If I have my finger, like, within a, you know, a couple of centimetres of where I'm treating, you can actually feel it exploding, you can feel the, the ink yeah. on in the skin yeah. exploding. Yeah. What kind of tattoos are you okay. seeing? So at the moment, there's a little bit of funding for visible tattoos that are going to hold people back. That tends to be facial tattoos. So I see an awful lot of guys with facial tattoos. So I've got one client at the moment who his face is entirely covered. It's a very sad case, right? He's, he prides himself on being a lifetime gang member. The first time I met him was a couple of months ago, and he bounced into the office. This is going to be good. I said, I doubt if we can do the whole face today. We did the forehead. wasn't fine. He basically had a panic attack. And because of the pain? Because of the pain and past trauma. Now, you know, obviously I'm not a psychologist, but these guys talked to me. He was molested as a child under care. His mother was a pee addict 
and is only recently not being a pee addict in this guy's early 40s. He actually said to me that the last time he got arrested, he tried to get the police to kill him. And he's due to get out soon, and he goes, I don't want to go. This is my happy place. The prison. Mm. Are you able to describe a bit more about what's on his face? It's, re it's gang tattoos, and it really is all over his face. It's quite horrific. The problem is that prison is boring, and to make it exciting, they often do tattooing, which is against every rule. No tattoos. Mm. And if a young guy is in the full, he's in the gang, in prison, and they're like, oh, man, you know, if you really want to be in our gang, you're going to put killer bees or whatever nonsense on your face, then they're going to do it. If you're in a gang, there are strict rules about getting the tattoo that marks your membership. Mark Locks is Associate Professor at the School of Justice Studies at Queensland University of Technology. He studied gangs and organised crime around the world. It's very clear around the world that you can't have a tattoo from a club until you're a full member and have approval. But it's um, likewise, if you're going to leave the club, you must therefore lose that tattoo one way or another. And um, usually, as I was saying, usually that's done forcibly if you don't mm. have it removed yourself. Because it is a sign that you belong to the inner circle of what they see as an elite group. And the same applies to other gangs as well. In terms of the Queensland government and its rules around gangs, what what does it say about, about uh, facial tattoos, gang tattoos? It did not go as far as facial tattoos, um, probably because of the practicality involved in that. And even though Western Australia has brought that in, no other state has done so yet. Um, there's one particular West Australian bikey who's had to black out a whole section of his face to cover up his gang tattoo because he was he was being pretty much targeted every day and he just had to get rid of the tattoo um, and he chose to black it out. Um, others, depending on where the tattoo is, they wear full sleeve shirts to cover the tattoos. But those with a face tattoo, obviously that's a lot harder. I've heard stories of people being asked to wear foundation to cover them up and things like that. I don't know. you know, I, I just can't picture the average motorcycle gang member wearing foundation under any circumstance. So the practicality of it is the issue, but sort of contradictorily, we regularly arrest people in Queensland for having paraphernalia from a club that the average person couldn't see, such as a ring. I mean, you would have to literally be holding someone's hand to see what's written on a ring. But if you are wearing a Rebels Motorcycle Club ring, the police will arrest you and confiscate that paraphernalia. So that same person might have a Rebels tattoo across their forehead, but they won't be arrested for that. So what are you saying? It's impractical. That's why That's why there's no the best I can, ban. Yeah, the, the best I could discover was the impracticality. Can you force someone to physically change their body? And maybe that was going a step too far. 
What other rules are there in Queensland? Is it sort of an across-the-board attempt just to eradicate gang members or eradicate gangs? Right. It's an across-the-board program to eradicate outlaw motorcycle gangs, not gangs. And the way we've done it is to reduce their ability to socialise and to remove any visible portrayal of the club at all. And that goes as far as a woman was arrested and charged in relation to wearing club paraphernalia because she was wearing one of those old school, I am the property of whoever from this club with the club logo on it. So even though she wasn't a member, that was still club paraphernalia and that was banned. So it is across the board. What has that meant? It's meant that we have lost that visual, that social visual of the bikey. It's gone from Queensland completely. It's not gone from other states, but it is from Queensland. Western Australia is succeeding in the same direction, but they've obviously gone a step further. Um, so for the since 2013, you do not see bikies on the street. Why just motorcycle gangs? Because are there other criminal gangs that are operating in Queensland? Yes, there are. So what happened would have been 2014, I think. The police, uh, so it was after the change of government and there was an emphasis on using the laws to catch all organised crime and gangs, not just motorcycle gangs. And anyhow, a group of men were arrested. They went for their initial trial in front of a magistrate under the bikey legislation. Um, The police gave their gang a name that the police had invented. And the magistrate said, well, every single person has sat in the dock and said they've never heard of this gang. And that's correct because the police made up the name. You know, this technicality, because the legislation was written for bikies who all have a name, it couldn't work that way for them. And this has led to a big problem in the way the laws are used across society. So what the police rely on more often is the anti-association where you're a known criminal meaning someone who has a criminal record above, like, assault, and they can then use that to prevent other people from associating with you. Yeah. So the new legislation, whilst retaining a lot that was in the bikey legislation, just has a whole lot of problems to it. Fortunately, the police themselves found that the application of the law was so bureaucratic, they just don't do it. And what they're relying on to fight bikies here is actually domestic violence law. So they've sort of shifted their focus to use domestic violence as a means of control of outlawed motorcycle gang members. They've worked out statistically in Queensland, you are seven times more likely to be a victim of domestic violence, including homicide, if your partner is a full patched member of a motorcycle gang. So if bikies have sort of been chased out of the state effectively, does that mean that there has been a drop in the level of violence and crimes and other crimes? Yes, significantly. A lot of those men moved into state in 2013, 2014 because they didn't want to be around. Queensland was the first state to have a law that was validated by the High Court. Every other state after that has had a problem of where do they displace their bikies to. It's now too late for Canberra and Victoria because they're last. If that's the case, why don't other states do the same thing? 
because the bikies can't leave now. There's nowhere else to go. And this is the problem in New Zealand. You're talking about, you know, you don't have state governments. So mm-hmm. say there was North Island, South Island, and the South Island brought in these laws and the bikies all moved to the North Island. Then the South Island go, great, well, we don't have the problem anymore and it's all in the North Island. But if the North Island brought in the law, where are they going to go? Unfortunately <laughs> for New Zealand, you are one jurisdiction. You bring in the law in New Zealand, where are they going to go? Because they're never coming back into Australia. They could still be outlawed, couldn't they? Yeah, but our success came from the fact that the violent men left. So you can you can deal to them, but all you're doing is really shifting shifting the violence, shifting the crimes to somewhere else. Those made offenders move somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. So the, we we still have hundreds of bikies on the books in Queensland, but the offences they're being caught with, and some of them are involved in drugs. But they, they're, honestly, I get a, a a monthly media feed, and I get daily stuff through Google as well, and the conversations in Queensland, there is still bikey work being done. And we're regularly finding a guy, like we've got schoolies coming on the Gold Coast this coming month. There will we'll be picking up bikies or known bikies um, coming from New South Wales and from Queensland, taking drugs on the Gold Coast for schoolies week. But we won't be seeing what we saw before of this territorial warfare between those violent chapters against each other on the Gold Coast and in Brisbane. And we were seeing that weekly. I don't know how much how aware you are of what um, Mark Mitchell, who's expected to be the next police minister, what his plans are for this crackdown. But he's saying that police will be allowed to search suspected gang members, their vehicles and properties without warrants. Straight off the bat, the warrantless search powers that we're going to give police means that they can be proactive and stop gang members and search them and search their vehicles for firearms. They don't have to go to the court and wait for a uh, warrant to be issued, which is very reactive. Gang activity on social media will be banned, as well as making gang members uh, wear foundation to cover up their gang markings. He's saying that the police need to be more proactive than reactive. Can you see this working in New Zealand? I'm never going to support anyone's law. You know, I work in organised crime studies. I know completely how bad things are. But whenever you bring in a law where people don't need warrants, you're, in, you're heading towards trouble. Police are human beings too, and you'll find things get abused. So when we first brought in the law, the level of knowledge amongst police of what a motorcycle gang member looked like um, led to a whole lot of harassment of guys who were wearing Sons of Anarchy T-shirts and things like that. So if you were wearing leather and you were on a Harley Davidson, police were pulling you over. And I, at the time, I was having conversations with the guy who was in charge of the task force, and he's going, I've been teaching them, but they're not listening to me any more than a student listens in a lecture to you. And, you know, there were massive problems. They eventually sorted it out and trained the police to do it the right way. But if you give anybody the ability to use their power without any sort of check, then you know you're going to head towards trouble. And it's it, the, the I would say, regardless of the topic, whether it's motorcycle gangs, organised crime, or any other topic, on the balance, you shouldn't ever go down that track for any topic. Okay, you you could say to the gangs not to wear their paraphernalia. The issue in New Zealand is. When you look at clubs like Mongrel Mob and the Highwaymen in Highway 61 and so forth that are 
more than simply an outlaw motorcycle gang that are much, much more complex. They're culturally based, um, community based in a broader sense than just a group of men forming a club together. What is a gang is a very, very different picture to what we have here. And it's not as black and white and clear cut. If you're a member of the Rebels, you will be a man, you will be an adult, and you will have a very, very clearly defined barrier between you and non-members. And I just don't think, from what I know, talking to people in New Zealand and, and my own research, I just can't see the mongrel mob being that clear cut. For a start, there's a whole lot of non-adult members of each of those clubs in New Zealand. On top of that, other academic friends of mine in New Zealand say that often these clubs get community funding because they're, they are, in one sense, they're a community organisation. So you just can't say the, the bikey laws from Australia will work dealing with the mongrel mob. Um, the other side of that is what counts as a club tattoo as opposed to a traditional tattoo when you're dealing with organisations who have that nature? You know, where are you going to end up by classifying what sort of tattoo gets banned? And that's a whole other minefield that we don't deal with over here in relation to motorcycle gangs. It may sound good. You read something, oh, look what Western Australia is doing. Yeah, yeah, we should do that too. Yeah, well, you know, I teach policy. And whenever you do policy, there's a whole lot of conversations you have to have before those nice little black and white issues are solved. And it may be, that putting it in practice is a lot, lot harder in New Zealand than it appears to be over here. Getting back to Mark Mitchell, I'd like to see him try <laughs> to put makeup on uh, any one of my guys. Even if they wanted their tattoos off, they would, you know, balk at that, okay? Mm. And I've had guys that go, oh, well, we'll put some concealer on. I go, well, this, full face, you're just going to look like, a performer. <laughs> when the process is finished, when you've done as much as you can, does it look like they've never had a tattoo? They, it can do. It can do. There's lots of variables. I haven't got too many clients, even after all this time, that have had everything off because they move away or whatever. But I've seen guys that have had their tattoos removed 100%. So the upside to prison tattoos on the face is they don't tend to be so deep. So the other thing is a lot of people think that old tattoos will be easier to get off, but actually the ink migrates deeper into the skin. So that isn't always the case. Everyone that comes to see me, inside or outside, I tell them not all tattoos come off. The whole issue of funding has been controversial over the years. The argument is why should taxpayers fund treatment of criminals, I suppose? Firstly, not everyone that goes into prison is covered in tattoos. So I had a young man come to get his prison tattoos off and his mother drove him. She said to me, my beautiful boy, he went into prison without a single tattoo. So the pressure that these young men get, men and women, to get tattooed in prison 
is immense. I had one client that was held down and they broke his jaw while doing it. So he had a titanium plate in his jaw. Now, his father brought him to me. Um, He was very traumatized by that experience. And now I'm inflicting more pain taking it off. So not all people got their tattoos willingly. All we can do is help when they're ready to get out the other side. And if we don't, then those guys don't stand a chance. So we need to fund this. We need to support these guys. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Mark Jennings and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Mark Locks and Helena Carter. Kakite.